A couple of weeks ago, Dan Wall was up here preaching, and he began his sermon by talking about the fact that his wife, Lynn, had several times that week called him a Scrooge and Debbie Downer and had been really on him about being negative. I told Dan later that my wife must have been paying close attention to that sermon <laughs> because a few days later, I was whining about something, and my wife said to me, okay, Dan Waugh, Let's pick it up some. The strange thing is I found that statement encouraging. And the reason I did was because I felt like I received an upgrade. Dan Waugh had now become the standard of negativity in my house. And I now rest above Dan Waugh. I'm better. I, I say that simply to acknowledge that today I'm going to be talking about joy. And I want to acknowledge that this sermon, in many ways, I preach to myself as much or more than anybody else. Maybe to Dan Wall a little bit more than me, but uh, definitely to myself. If someone asks you to define joy, explain it, put words to it, it's a hard thing to define, isn't it? What is joy? How do you describe it? But, but you know what it is. You know the experience. So this week as I was thinking about joy, I was thinking about different times that I've experienced joy, that it was just clear, that was joy. I thought about the time when I was a young man standing in the front of a church sanctuary and my wife, now wife, walks in that back door for the first time and I see her in that dress and, and she walks up the aisle. That moment of joy, of this person is going to be my wife for the rest of my life, just real joy. I do a lot of weddings, and it's one of the things I love during a wedding. You know, I think all of you, during a wedding, don't you want to stare at that groom the moment that the bride walks in and see that face? And, and just that moment of joy. Uh, love that moment, don't you? That joy of, uh, that I experienced when I, when I held my children for the very first time. Many of you know that moment, that moment of joy of seeing that, that newborn baby. And I may not be able to put words to it, but I know that's joy. I know that's what that is. As a pastor, moments of joy have been things like the, the opportunities I've had, like to baptize my children, just real moments of joy. Or officiating at their weddings. Uh, clearly, that, that was joy. Or more recently, I think of all the, of the three times where I, for the first time, have met my new grandson for the very first time. Clearly, each of those was a time of joy. We know joy. We know what it's like. Hard to put words to it, though. Um, the Bible talks about joy many times. Many times it describes it as something that makes the heart leap or it makes the heart swell. It manifests itself a lot of times in Scripture through things like singing and dancing and shouting. Second Corinthians says that their joy resulted in rich generosity. Joy seems to be something we feel deeply inside. We feel in an intense way. And we almost have to almost, we're compelled to express it outwardly in some way. That's joy. Some try to distinguish joy from happiness or pleasure. For instance, Frederick Buechner writes this. Happiness turns up more or less where you'd expect it. A good marriage, a rewarding job, a pleasant vacation. Joy, on the other hand, is as notoriously unpredictable as the one who bequeaths it. So he says joy is something that seems a little more surprising. It steps in and... Maybe in its intensity it's surprising. Maybe it, how unpredictable it is. But also he, he makes that connection. Joy seems something that, that really is connected somehow to God. That he's the one who gives it to us. One of my favorite descriptions of joy comes from Presbyterian pastor Earl Palmer. 
He writes this. Joy is the meaningful acceleration in the rhythm of our relationship and our understanding of God. Let me read that again. Joy is the meaningful acceleration in the rhythm of our relationship and our understanding of God. When I read that, I think of this idea that somehow joy is sort of a... You ever play that children's game, Shoots and Ladders? You know? And when you land on the ladder square, you get to skip ahead. You get to climb up the ladder and skip some steps. I think he's saying joy is kind of like that. It's that moment where we get to skip ahead a little, where we get a a unique taste. It's almost like the veil is kind of pulled back a little, and we get a taste of heavenly reality in that moment, a unique taste, a moment of it. It doesn't always last. It doesn't continue forever, but we get a moment of that kind of picture of what will someday be permanent and lasting, heavenly realities. The words joy or rejoicing appear in the Bible about 400 times. About a tenth of those times, it's in the Gospels. Um, and Bible references to joy are about things like a military victory or a good harvest. Scripture even says we experience joy just from a cheerful look of another. Proverbs talks about experiencing joy through things like perfume and incense. Ecclesiastes talks about joy over good food and good drink. Joy for lots of reasons. But the overwhelming majority of the references to joy in Scripture are tied into a clear experience of God's blessing in some way or God's deliverance or being in the presence of God. Clearly, that is the place that Scripture wants to pull our attention and say that's the place of joy. When you're close to God, when you're experiencing something that he's done in your life, that's joy. The Old Testament, many times joy is about that idea of deliverance in some way or, again, some clear act of blessing from God. But in the New Testament, you'll find joy most often connected to Jesus connected to being in his presence, or again, this hope of his coming again, being in his presence again. That's the source of joy. I say all this, say, what's strange to me is that when I think of the incarnation, this time of year when I'm thinking about the incarnation, it struck me how seldom I think of our joy as being one of the reasons that Christ came. I don't really think of that often as being clearly one of his purposes, is our joy. But I think scripture says that's true. That Christ came that we might know joy, true joy, lasting joy. The angel appears to those shepherds that night, that dark night. Now again, picture that scene. This is a time when they didn't have electricity, didn't have battery-powered flashlights. So this sudden light, this bright light appearing in this angelic being, this has got to be a pretty shocking moment. It'd be for any of us, but then especially. What a shocking, even we're told, terrifying moment for them. And then that angel brings a calm with these words. Good news of great joy for all the people. That's what he's bringing. Good news of great joy for all the people. And the source of that great joy will be this news. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. When you look back at all the prophecies that pointed ahead to this day, they, when you read those prophecies, you, you get this feeling of joy and of hope woven throughout them. Clearly, they are looking forward with a, a sense of joy that this is going to happen. John the Baptist, later, when he's talking about Jesus, um, he'll tell us this. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He says, just hearing the voice of the bridegroom, hearing the voice of Jesus, my 
my joy is complete. It's fulfilled. Everything it could possibly be, it is in that moment because of his voice. Being near him, hearing him, is what brought me great joy. Even before his birth, we're told that John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mother's womb. Simply being in the presence of Jesus made him leap for joy. But especially you see this this theme of joy when you look at Jesus' final discourse with his disciples right before his arrest and then his crucifixion. So think of it. These are the words where he's, he's preparing them for this event. In some way, he's summing up everything he's been saying to them, and he's preparing them for what's to come. And in these very important words in John chapter 15 through 17, when you read those words, you will find this theme of joy woven all through them. So turn there for a minute with me, if you would. And we'll begin in John chapter 15. I just want to look at a few of these appearances. So John chapter 15. Look down in verse 9. So this is the passage where Jesus has been talking to them about He is the vine and we're the branches and that that He's calling us to remain in Him, to remain connected to Him, close to Him finding our life in him. And then down in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. Remain remain under the umbrella of my love. Remain close to me. Follow close after me. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Remain in him. Remain in his love. Why? So that you might have complete, full joy. That's why he wants you to do that. Look in chapter 16, the next chapter. Jesus again, preparing his disciples for his death. And I think here, he's pointing to something that will happen. I think his resurrection, some say his second coming. But I think he's talking about his death and, and most likely his resurrection. And he says this in chapter 16 and verse 20. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. The time is coming where you'll not only experience joy, but it won't be momentary. It will be a joy that will last forever. And that time is coming soon. You'll grieve, but just like a mother has given birth and goes through all that pain, and I've obviously not done that, but mothers out there can tell you, I think, a lot of pain. And the pain doesn't suddenly just end when the child's born, but in some ways it does because the joy of that child overwhelms the pain. It, it in some ways extinguishes it because the joy is so great. Saying that joy will come. All the pain doesn't end in this world in that moment, but boy... Being in his presence again, joy, joy just overwhelms. And a day is coming where joy will completely extinguish the pain. Then look ahead, chapter 17, one more time. Chapter 17 and verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. Again, I think these things he's talking about, all the things he just said in chapters 15 through 17. Telling you all these things. And why did he say these things? so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I want you to know my joy. I want you to be filled with it, to have complete joy, to have lasting joy. That's why Christ came. One of the reasons. 
Christ came is that we might be completely filled with a joy that lasts. I say all this not to say that when we experience joy through things like I described earlier, those momentary joys, those joys that don't last, the joys through the relationships in this world, through the things we receive, through the blessings of the created things, I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy those. See, some I think have this idea if we enjoy the things of this world too much, the the things that are created too much and given to us as blessings too much, then we'll fail to to enjoy God as we should. We'll we'll fail to find our joy there. And I'd actually say, I don't think that's true. I think it is a, a good and wonderful thing to enjoy the good gifts God's given us. Enjoy them fully and enjoy them completely. But I think we need to understand what they are. We need to enjoy them as a good taste, as a wonderful, meaningful taste of his love. They, they, they give us a taste of him in some way and enjoy them for what they are and what they're meant to be. But if we lose that connection, I think we lose something vitally important for our joy. N.T. Wright has this great illustration that I love. He talks about the fact that, um, you know, a dog, when you, when you point at something with a dog, what's the dog tend to do? Well, it stares at your finger, you know? So I was thinking about that the other day. We have a dog that loves to go out and fetch the ball. It's its favorite activity, I think. Hadn't told me that, but it seems to. Uh, Love fetching that ball. And you can go out for an hour and throw that ball, and and it's really good about it. It'll go get it, can bring it back, and it drops it right at your foot, pick it up again, throw it again, and it will just do that a hundred times and keep doing it. But every so often, our dog's a pretty excitable dog. It's like a little ping-pong ball most of the time bouncing around. And every so often, I'll pick up the ball to throw it, and it's so excited, it'll get distracted, and I'll throw the ball, and it won't see that I threw it, you know? And so then it looks back at me and bounces up and down, waiting for me to throw the ball. And I will, every time, do the same dumb thing. I'll point and go, there it is. Go get it. There it is. And every time I do this, it bounces a little higher and stares at my hand, you know? It doesn't know what I'm pointing at. It just keeps staring at the pointing finger. Uh, Glad that I'm pointing at something, glad I'm moving my hand, but has no idea what it's being pointed at. N.T. Wright says many times we're like that dog. We're the people, we, we stare at the symbol and we get so focused on what is meant to be a symbol, we, we miss the reality that it points to. Or we get so focused on the taste of something that we, we miss the real source that it's meant to drive us to. We focus on that and that's kind of the end for us. We stop there and we don't look beyond that at the thing that it's pointing us to. I think, I think many of the blessings of this world are wonderful. We ought to enjoy them. We ought to, we ought to just enjoy them to the fullest. But not forget what they point us to. They are a wonderful taste. The real source of the joy that we find in those things is the one who gives them to us because of his love. Ultimately, his love is the source of that joy. Let's not lose that connection and miss it. The angel said that he was going to bring that he brought good news that was going to bring great joy to all the people. And what was that good news? That good news wasn't about things. It wasn't about the things that were being brought, the blessings. The good news was about somebody. Someone is the good news. And the good news was this. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And and what I thought about when I was looking at this passage was the fact that even the way Christ came, when you think about it, even the way he came takes all our attention away from the stuff, doesn't it? It's not about the things he possesses. It's not about the things he could give. In the simplest way, our attention is drawn in to the person. Everything about it points to the person. This little baby, 
this little baby that would be easy for you to miss who he is and, and what he's going to do. All the attention shines in on him. He's the good news that's going to bring us great joy. He's called Savior. This is the only time in the Gospels that that term Savior appears uh, in Luke chapter 2. He's the Savior. And um, by Savior, it means, again, he's one who's going to rescue. He's a divine deliverer. But actually, in Greek culture, that term Savior was used to describe lots of people. It was a doctor, philosophers, lots of people. Someone comes in and helps you in some way, Savior, common term. But here, Luke says more than just Savior. He also says that he is the Christ. And that's, that Greek word means anointed one. Um, the Hebrew word that's uh, translated Messiah also means anointed one. He is the Savior. He is the one who's going to rescue us. But he's also the anointed one. He's the one that the prophet's been telling you about, that the prophets have been pointing to and preparing you for, the one you've longed for and hoped for. He's not just a Savior. He's the Savior that you've been waiting for. He's the one in Isaiah chapter 9. We read these words, these familiar words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And finally, he's called Lord. He's the one who, this little baby laying in this manger, he's the one that possesses unbelievable, unimaginable power and authority. He's Savior. He's Christ. He's Lord. Draw your attention into him because this news, if you hear it, if you understand it, is going to bring you great joy. This time of year, as many of you know, a lot of my job here is providing pastoral counseling. And this time of year, um, my counseling load tends to always go up every year this time of year. And I think a lot of that is, as I've thought about it over the years, I think a lot of that is because this time of year stirs all these images, these beautiful images of Christmas that are filled with kind of what life should be, aren't they? When you think of the Christmas card images, they're, they're, they're images of beauty. I mean, just incredible beauty always about Christmas. You look at the decorations in here for Christmas. It's just it's one of the most beautiful times in the sanctuary. You know, Christmas is just filled with beauty. It's images of warmth, you know, literally warmth, the fire going in the fireplace, but also these pictures of family that are all pulled together and everybody's connected and happy and caring towards each other. Those are our images of Christmas. It's, it stirs images of generous giving and generous receiving. All of those things, when we stop and reflect on Christmas, they're the kind of things that come to mind. But those images often stand in stark contrast to our reality, don't they? Many times, for many people, reality is, that's when I, this is what I long for, this is what I feel like should be, and over here is what I'm really in. And even though that's always hard, put it beside this, and boy, it's really hard. That was a really hard time to face some of those realities. Um, it really does, it, it causes us to remember the fact that we long for much more than often we have. And even if you experience some of those beautiful Christmas card moments in your Christmas, even if they're part of your Christmas reality, you also have to face the fact they're temporary. They don't last the way you want them to last, do they? Remember as a kid waiting for that moment when you get to open all your Christmas presents 
and that anticipation and you can't wait and you're longing for it and you're trying to sneak down and see them because you just can't wait is that moment you've been dreaming about. And then you open all your presents and you play for, with them for a few minutes and now what? Now I'm bored with all those things and what am I supposed to do? You know? It's wonderful. But even when it's wonderful, it's temporary. It, it lasts for just a moment. It's not enough. The angel tells those shepherds that the baby uh, they will find wrapped in rags and lying in the animal feeding trough is the one who will bring purpose and meaning to their life. He's the Lord. He's the one who will rescue them from their sin, from sadness, from loneliness, from loss, from many of the ugly things in this world. He's their Savior. He's the one who will fulfill all their deepest hopes and their deepest longings. He's the Christ. That's the one who's coming. You know, these things that we many times have to face that are hard and difficult or in some way come up short. In fact, even if your image of Christmas is the National Lampoon Christmas, you know, in the movie it still wraps up nice and happy. Life doesn't always work that way, does it? If, if those are our images and that's what we long for, those, those little tastes are wonderful tastes. But in some ways, if we taste them, we have to face the reality that they don't last or they're not complete. They're not everything we want them to be. We, we were made for more and we long for more. See, I think to enjoy those things really, really well, I think we need to accept them for what they are. We need to accept them as something that's temporary and that's incomplete. Then enjoy them fully and deeply. Enjoy them. Have a great time with them. Celebrate them for what they're meant to be. Try and make them more than that and see what happens. Try and make them something that's, that lasts and that's satisfying, that's permanent. And we do crazy things, don't we? You take the things that are meant to be good gifts, temporary, that point us to something else, and we try to make them enough. So we try and grab and get and get more of them and get more of them, indulge in them more deeply because they have to be more than they're meant to be. And it steals the joy away from them, actually. Because if they have to be more, we have to take and manipulate and get. And many times we have to step out of moral and righteous boundaries to have more. Because, because we want them to be something they're never meant to be. Or another response often is that we, we just try and numb the longing, don't we? We try and kill the desire for them. We become kind of cynical and we don't care about those. And they don't matter and I don't enjoy them too much. i got to admit, I'm tempted that way. I'm tempted towards the side that's just kind of like, yeah, don't enjoy anything too much. Just, just pretend like it doesn't matter to you too much because then you don't ever have to experience the disappointment when it doesn't last or when it's not enough or when it's incomplete. But if we could see them for what they're truly meant to be, these relationships that are never quite what we long for, never quite live up to the Christmas image, the, the things we have are never quite everything that we long for, never quite enough. But there's a lot of good in them. Enjoy them deeply. Celebrate them. Have a blast with them. And realize they're temporary. They're incomplete. Because they're simply meant to point us to something that's more. That's the real source of what we long for and the real source of the joy that we hope for. Real, true, lasting joy. I'm telling you, enjoy those moments. I hope you have a blast with those moments. I hope this Christmas, when you walk into your incomplete families that don't always live up to the Christmas images. Now some of you, I hope you have a beautiful Christmas that's filled with beauty and warmth and connection and great giving and receiving. But if your Christmas doesn't quite live up to that, 
I hope you will still look for those moments and those tastes of joy and enjoy them. Not in a way that has to deny the sadness, that has to pretend it's not there, or the incompleteness isn't there. That, I think we need to own and face that. But don't let that keep you from also seeing what's worthy of joy. What are wonderful, good tastes. Enjoy them fully, completely. Celebrate them. But also let them be something that points you to something else. In those moments, when you see those joys, when you taste them, even as temporary as they are, momentary, or incomplete as they are, let them be a reminder to you of the fact that that which is now incomplete, that which doesn't last very long, there's a day coming when I'll get to know that in a complete and full and lasting way. Because that little taste is just a little taste of the love of Christ and the presence of Christ. And a day is coming where that will be complete and permanent and full. I get to live in that every moment. Let it be a taste that points you. So don't grab onto it so tight. Grip it lightly. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. Hold on to it. But lightly. Because you get it. This isn't going to last. Not yet. Not now. So, so, real practical reminder. I just want to give you some practical advice for this Christmas. Uh, as you go into Christmas, you receive those gifts, you spend time with family, all those things we've been talking about. Um, let some of those things be, again, just a little reminder. In those moments, remind yourself, pull your attention back to, and maybe even to yourself silently, say a little prayer of thanks to God for those little joys, those little moments, those little things worthy of celebration. And even beyond that, I would say, Maybe we develop a habit. Maybe we would literally be people who are more serving God's purpose by being joyful people. Now, the last thing I want to do is say, okay, you should be joyful people. So feel guilty and feel bad if you're not. I do that to myself all the time. It has never worked for me. I've never found guilt has produced joy for me. Instead of that, maybe, what we could do is start every day by stopping and just thinking. Think of one or two things that bring you joy that have brought you joy in your life in the past, things that currently are bringing you joy, just stop and think of one or two of those things. And in that moment, stop and think, how do those things remind me of, of my Lord and Savior? How do they point to Him? Let them be a, a pointing finger that directs you back to the source and reflect on Him for a moment. Express your praise to Him for who He is and express your thanks to Him for what He's given. Then... I just recently was reading an article by some researchers out of Stanford who were looking at joy. And they were looking at how you can create more joy in someone's life. And so part of their research was they had people go around and express their joy to others. That's all they were told to do. And people who did it, level of joy increased. Simply saying it out loud helped. I think it's meant to be expressed. We, we, should, we are in some way compelled to express our joy when we experience it, aren't we? Well, don't push that down. Don't hold that down. Let it out. So, so think of a couple of things that bring you joy or have brought you joy. Then figure out some way to express that outwardly during your day. Somewhere. Somehow. Say to someone what you enjoy. Let them know. Maybe invite them into your joy in some way if you can. Somehow let it out. Sing, dance, shout. I don't know. Let it out somehow. Given rich generosity, let it be expressed that way. But think of some way that outwardly today I would like to Get that joy out of me and with somebody else. And I'll bet you anything you'll find joy will stick. Joy will become more and more a part of who you are and a part of who we are as a people. It's God's purpose in our life. Let's not, let's not fight it and push it away. Let's live in it. Live in it fully. God is with us. 
That's the good news that's meant to bring great joy to every single one of us. Let's pray. Lord, how thankful we are that we can say God is with us. That we have a God who understands what we go through, a God who's experienced it and more. That we have a God who, who has shared with us his love and his joy. Lord, we just pray that we would immerse ourselves in you that we would remain in you and your love, that we would follow your commands and stay close to you in order that we would be filled with the joy that is yours. In your blessed name, amen.